Thanks for tuning in to Mountain View Fellowship's weekly podcast. At MVF, our mandate is pointing people to Jesus by fostering relationships. We know Jesus cared for people and placed a lot of emphasis on relationships. So we do too. We believe that we're created for relationship with God and that he gave each one of us a desire to belong. If you'd like more information about MVF, connect with us at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message. Have you enjoyed this past week? It's been quite a ride, hasn't it? And it's likely to continue for a while. I want to welcome you uh, to Mountain View Fellowship and our last week in our series called Political Filter. I'm Mike. I'm one of the pastors here at MVF, and it's my pleasure to get to speak with you this today. Uh, to catch you up on this series, um, we've been asking you to consider what filter you're using to view the world and the events around you. Is it a political, opinion-based filter or a faith, biblically-based filter? We've been using James 1, 19 to 20 as our consistent text through the series, and hopefully by now you have it memorized. Let's go ahead and say it together. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. During week one, Pastor Don talked about anger. And in week two, I talked about listening through prayer. Last week in prep for the uh, election, Pastor Don talked about unity and saying that we are first and foremost brothers and sisters in Christ and our political affiliations are second or even further down on the list. And this last week, today, I'm going to talk about control. Now, before we go too far, I just have to apologize for a moment for those of you who are in the building who might have gotten a uh, mixed message. There was actually a political action group that showed up. We didn't know they were coming. They didn't ask for permission. And they, they set up outside the building and started getting signatures. And obviously, that doesn't really mesh with our idea of having a faith filter instead of political filter. And so I'm sorry if you felt like we were giving you mixed messages. It, it really wasn't our fault. We asked the group to leave and and although they kind of left, they were a little slippery in the fact that they just moved up the driveway for a while before we finally had them go ahead and fully leave. But again, I just want to apologize for that. You know, politics can be that way. And I'm sure right now, if we even just talk about politics at all, there are many of you who are just so done with it, ready to move on. But I'm going to ask this question anyways. What filter are you using to view the world? Perhaps the biggest part of us having a political filter this year is that we don't feel in control. I mean, how do we react when we feel out of control? Angry? Impatient? Overly opinionated? Fearful? Distrusting? Loud? Uh, does this describe anyone you know yet? Uh, please don't say their name out loud if you can think of one, unless maybe you say your own name. Can I ask a favor of you today? I may say a couple things that at first you may not like or you disagree with. But hang with me. Please don't walk out or turn off the live stream or start writing a nasty gram text or email. Instead, be quick to listen. My hope is to walk together through what God's sovereignty and control means so that we can arrive at an even better place of faith in him. Who is in control right now? Is it the Democrats or the Republicans? Is it traditional values or liberal ideals? Is it socialist youth or the realist elders? Are the people in control? 
Or has the election been stolen by backroom power brokers and conspiracies? And where does faith come into play in all of this? I'm sure that right now you wouldn't be surprised. I'm very confident that if I said something like, God is not surprised at this election. God is not sitting in heaven trying to figure out what's going to happen next and God is in control. Uh, You know, I could say that. And there is truth in there. I could probably support it in Scripture. And it's likely a pretty comfortable set of thinkings. It matches our expectations and it seems simple. However, you know, doesn't it sound just a little too easy or too cliche? I feel like there's something deeper here that we need to explore. Christian faith rests upon faith in the attributes of who God is. That he is all-knowing, all-powerful, all-wise, eternal, unchangeable. Sometimes we summarize these as God is in control. The problem is, what level is God in control? Although it's reassuring that he's in control way above us, you know, globally, nationally, historically, but the reality is we really don't surrender control inside of us, do we? We make our own decisions. We kind of like the don't tell me how to live my life. We love being independent. And although sovereignty of God is a biblical and reasonable truth, it can be a difficult truth. Part of the difficulty lies in how God can be in absolute control. And at the same time, humanity can make genuine choices. Each of these truths is clearly taught in Scripture. However, Scripture never tries to reconcile them. They're taught side by side. Consequently, there is some mystery in the doctrine of God's sovereignty, and there must be a balance somewhere. Maybe we're just using the wrong wording. Maybe it's just semantics, I know, but I think we're often saying it wrong. And it has to do with this word, sovereign. Many of us have heard that the word is paraphrased as in control. But sovereign actually means the supreme ruler or the rightful authority. It does not mean in control. Control isn't even a synonym. God's sovereignty means that Jesus is the king. The word sovereign wasn't found in older English translations of the Bible. A lot of modern translations use it, but they tend to use it as an adjective. For instance, in the NLT, it is used over 200 times in the book of Ezekiel alone, but always as the sovereign Lord. The context is the one true authoritative Lord, not the controlling Lord. And there's a problem when we say that God's in control that skeptics might have. It's something like this. If God was in control, then there wouldn't be any evil in the world. There wouldn't be suffering. He wouldn't have needed to send his son to earth to die for a messed up, sinful human race. If God was in control, there wouldn't be corrupt governments. There wouldn't be sickness, COVID, cancer. We wouldn't need to take care of orphans or widows because if God was in control, death wouldn't happen. Parents wouldn't lose their children. Women and children wouldn't be abused. Human trafficking wouldn't exist. Abject poverty and famine would never happen. In short, there would be no suffering. As a pastor, I've had to be in some pretty tough places. 
I've had to sit beside people as they take their last breath on earth. I've cried with people over news of terminal cancer. I've stood beside a mother at a viewing because her oldest son was killed. I've had to help deliver the news to a teenager that his best friend was murdered. In these situations, the worst thing that I think I could have said was, God is in control. More often than not, that statement would cause someone to have a crisis of faith. It'd be like saying that it was God's will that you suffer, that you are being punished, that he doesn't care, that evil prevails. While we do believe God is in control, there's still a point of doubt where we ask, at what point is God in control? On a global scale, on a national level? I think it gives us a lot of peace to believe that there is a plan, that he has it, and that it's happening even if we don't understand it. On a personal level, when we are sick or experiencing tragedy, we really want to believe that God is in control. But what about our own choices? Is God in control of you? Do you make your own decisions or are you just a puppet? The conundrum is that if humans have an ability to make decisions, this diminishes God's universal powers. But if God makes all decisions, humans have no responsibility for their own deeds, negating such concepts as justice and consequence. Have I lost you yet? Hopefully I haven't. Please stay with me and hear me out. And let's figure this sovereignty thing out together. The truth is we live in a world where evil happens chaos grows. The good doesn't always seem to triumph in the short term. We live in a fallen world. And there are hundreds of examples in this in the Psalms. You can read just about any Psalm and feel the emotion there of somebody going through this problem. Part of this is the fact that we do have an enemy in this world. In John 1, 5 and 19, it says, we know that we are children of God. But we also know that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. That is Satan. The world is under the control. Jesus himself said that the time for judging this world has come when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. Now, does this mean that God has just given up and handed everything over to Satan? No, not at all. It just means we shouldn't be surprised when things don't seem be going well or the way that we'd want we don't lose hope God is sovereign he is in charge Matthew 28 18 tells it this way that Jesus told his disciples I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth all authority over Satan over the enemy over death over sin over all. He is the king. He is the creator of all, the author of history. He wrote the book, and the good news is we know the ending. Perhaps it's semantics, but I think saying God is in charge is really at the heart of what we mean. He knows what is happening and guides everything according to his will. He is not the author of evil. He does not create our suffering. But through his sovereignty, he allows it to use it to his purposes and to grow us spiritually, to 
to help our relationship with him. If God was simply in control, we would never be able to make decisions on our own. We'd have no free will. And our choice to love God would not be authentic. It would only be a predetermined or a conditioned response. God would not get real glory. Instead, God has given us the ability to make choices. And God is involved beside us in those choices. When times are difficult, when tragedy visits, biblically we are supposed to lament. And the point of lament is not just an outlet for our frustration, our sorrow, loneliness, and the sheer inability to understand what is happening or why. The mystery of biblical story is that Jesus also laments. When he was walking on this earth doing his ministry, he healed people and often he was moved with compassion. Jesus reached out and touched him and said, I am willing, be healed. He felt for the people. There's a story of a time when Jesus' friend Lazarus dies. Jesus shows up. Lazarus has been dead for a while and he shows up at the grave. And we get the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. He wasn't weeping as just a a show. He was weeping because he felt deep sorrow. That his friend Lazarus had touched death. That the people had lost part of their faith and were questioning things. When Jesus was in the garden the night before he was uh, crucified and died, he felt deep sorrow because he knew what was coming. He trusted God's plan, but he still felt it. He prayed more fervently, and he was in such agony, agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. And of course, when he was on the cross, he took on the burden of our sins. He felt forsaken. He suffered and he died outside the city gates to make his people, you and me, holy by means of his own blood. He felt the sorrow, but he still went forward with the plan. I love how Isaiah 63, 9 says it. In all of their suffering, he, Jesus, also suffered and he personally rescued them. In his love and his mercy, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them through all the years. He's involved with us, and he has a plan. Psalm 33, 11 says, But the Lord's plans stand firm forever. His intentions can never be shaken. He has a plan, and he's in charge. This plan is called the Missio Dei. And that's just a Latin term that means God's active work in the world to redeem all of creation back to himself. He has a plan for all of eternity. The Old Testament, you can read the prophecies that are given, and sometimes it's hundreds of years before they come true. And these prophecies are how God showed his plan. There's one particular series that that struck me this past week. Um, It goes back in Deuteronomy. Moses is, is telling God's prophecy of the future. And he's laying out this covenant and saying, when you enter the promised land, you need to worship only me. Don't allow the local gods to trip you up. If you do, you will lose the land and I will kick you out. Then we see over hundreds of years, 
the Israelites turning their backs on God and living out that prophecy in books like Judges and First and Second Kings. And then all the prophets and their books warning the people again and again, come back to God, worship him alone. In the book of Isaiah, he, he lays out that they are going to lose the land, but he provides hope and he says there's a remnant of you that is going to come back. And in fact, he names the pagan king, Cyrus, who would allow them to come back. And then about 100 years later, it happens. In the book of Ezra, we read that the Lord stirred the heart of Cyrus, the pre-named king, that he would send the people back to build him, God, a temple in Jerusalem. And this thread, this plan, it's a It's just a small plan of God's bigger plan, but it took nearly a thousand years for it to happen. And we can see it. God had a plan. When he created the world, he had a plan. And that plan is in motion. In the New Testament, we see pieces of that plan again, and Jesus consistently talked about the plan of redemption. He foretold the events of his arrest, death, and resurrection. During this conversation with Nicodemus, he said, As Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. He told what was going to happen. And the plan did happen. Acts 2.23 said, God knew what this would happen. And his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of Lodinus Gentiles, you nailed him to cross and you killed him but God raised him from the dead. Jesus also spent time talking about another plan of his second return. And that plan is in motion today. It hasn't come about yet. We don't know when it will, but we know that it's in motion, that God has a plan. But what about in our lives right now? If Jesus was to continue to wait to come, what about now? We can trust that God has a plan. He is in charge for you, for me, for the world, for eternity. Ephesians 1, 11 to 12 says, Furthermore, we are united with Christ. We have been received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, for he makes everything work out according to his plan. 2 Timothy 1.9 says, For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, not because we earned it or something that happened, but because that was his plan from before the beginning of time to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. He's in charge, but he gives us a choice to join the plan. God is God, and I am not. Here's the real power of God's sovereignty. God is in charge of all, but not controlling all. Divine sovereignty and human responsibility are paradoxical, but beyond human comprehension. However, they're not contradictory. God is able to carry out his very nature of being all-powerful and all-knowing, able to accomplish his will and keep his promises. And somehow, we are still free to decide to participate or not. He is in charge. How do we exercise this? To plan our 
free will, to use it, to participate in his sovereignty. How do we become part of his plan and his kingdom? I think it has everything to do with perspective. God is God and I am not. What you focus on dominates your thinking. The way you view things dominates your reaction to things. If you focus on events, on chaos, on evil, on the disappointments of this world, that's what you get. Or if you focus on the author of creation, focus on our king to get hope and joy. Uh, maybe do an experiment with me for a moment. I'm going to ask you a couple questions and just say the answer out loud, okay? First, what is the color of snow? White, yeah. What's the color of paper? White. What's the color of clouds? White. What's the color of the box on the screen? White. What do cows drink? Did some of you say milk? The answer is actually water. Cows drink water, they make milk. When we're focused on things, sometimes we come to the wrong place. And it's important that we focus on the right things so that we can see his plan. We have to stay focused on spiritual things in order to see God. The best way to have a faith filter is to choose to be focused on Jesus. Focus on our king. 1 Corinthians 4.18 says, we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. We don't place our hope in the government. We place our hope in Jesus. We don't place our hope in our jobs or money. We place our hope in our provider. We don't place our hope in science. We place our hope in our creator. We don't worship the president. We worship the king. How do you keep this focus? Reading the Bible, praying, be part of a Bible study or a life group, worshiping together and staying connected to a faith body. That's how we can see a faith filter. And that's my prayer for you. Let's go ahead and pray together. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that you are in charge. We know that you are sovereign. We can trust in that. Our hope is not in how an election is going to play out. We know that regardless of who wins, at times things seemingly may be getting much worse. But we can trust in you. We trust that you have a plan. That plan is in motion. It's in motion at a high level, nationally and globally, historically. And that plan is in motion in our own lives as well. For us to come to know you, for us to trust you more, for us to be redeemed. We know that you have an eternal plan. But long before the start of everything, you knew how it would play out. You knew that we would end up in a fallen world because it's through the fallen world we have that free choice where we can actually, genuinely, authentically choose to love you, to follow you, 
and by doing so that you can redeem us for eternity. Lord, we long to see the day for your plan to come to fruition, for your kingdom to be fully established. But for now, we focus that you are our king, that we can trust you even when we, it seems around us we can't, that we can focus our gaze on the things that matter, that our hope is in you, and that you are in charge. You are sovereign. Amen.